what we have is central bankers that are just committed to raising rates no matter what. They're going to raise those rates, even though they admit that by raising those rates, the only inflation that they can control is demand inflation, and that that's not really the root of the current bout of inflation. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcade Economics. And coming up on today's show, Lynette Zhang joins in to talk about a lot of the things that are happening around the world now that the Fed continues to raise interest rates and we're seeing the pressure unfold in many of the markets, not just in the U.S., but around the globe and specifically in Great Britain, where they've been having troubles with their currency and their bond markets. Although things are happening quickly because I recorded this conversation with Lynette on late Tuesday. And as you may have already seen, Wednesday morning, Bank of England intervenes in the bond market after historic sell-off. So while their currency is going down and while they were planning to stop purchasing their bonds, Bank of England intervened to purchase bonds. So again, uh, printing more money to purchase government debt. And interesting here, they mentioned that they will do this on whatever scale necessary. So Again, this happened since Tuesday when I recorded with Lynette. So just wanted to put that note in there. And with that said, here we go with Lynette Zhang of ITM Trading. Joined by my friend Lynette Zhang of ITM Trading. And Lynette, great to see you again. Was really a pleasure to meet you in person last year. And yes. More importantly than anything, how are you doing today and how is everything going? Well, I'm really happy to be here, Chris. So thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, getting prepared is going really well. What's happening in the world, not going so well. I mean, I'm seeing some really, really bad signs, particularly in the sovereign, which is government debt markets. That that makes me extremely nervous. Well, you and me both. And uh, too bad we didn't have you as the Federal Reserve Chairwoman a long time ago. Maybe we would have uh, escaped out of some of this mess. Although, I suppose when you take interest rates down to 0% for a decade and then raise them quite quickly, Lynette, I know you were not surprised that that would lead to some issues. Although one of the things that certainly at the top of the markets this week, and we'll pull up the chart, is that it is not good times for the British pound. See our yep. chart down here and really just falling off a cliff. And a quick look as we were talking about before we hit the record button. Oh, a, a little jump in, in the bond <laughs> yields there. They're trying to stimulate the economy at the same time that Bank of England is trying to tamp the economy down, just like, but you know, we say it over in England and the reality is, is there's this huge thing that's going on between fiscal and monetary policy and they are at odds with each other because globally you've got the central banks and, and I mean, I don't know, Chris, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So, you know, what we have is central bankers that are just committed to raising rates no matter what. They're going to raise those rates, even though they admit 
that by raising those rates, the only inflation that they can control is demand inflation. And that that's not really the root of the current bout of inflation, which is more supply chain driven as well as, you know, war driven. And then at the other, at the same time, you've got the governments in this, in the U.S. that are passing the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever. So in 10 years, a family is going to save 1800 bucks a year on their utility bills, but we're going to spend $439 billion to make that happen in 10 years. They can't figure out what's happening next month, let alone 10 years. So there's stimulating. I'm, I'm sure you're going to comment on the uh, savings they talked about achieving by the year 2050 as well, which seems. They always, you know, whenever they put these things out, you always have to look at the title and whatever that title says, it's just the opposite. Yeah. And you know, it's just the opposite. It's a joke. It's how they sell it. But I wonder, does anybody believe that anymore? Well, I think that the whole inflation and actually seeing prices rise in people's faces, gee, at least in the time since I've been reading and learning about gold and silver, I think that's been the biggest wake-up call because, you know, yields go up, yes. uh, stock market goes up or down a little bit, you know, as long as continues on. You can kind of patch that over, but I, I went back to the U.S. for the first time earlier this year, and I mean, just buying food, you can see it. People can feel it. Yeah, and I guess it's not an easy situation the Fed's in. Perhaps the, the answer would be to go back in time and not do what they did, although you talked about that, the demand side. It seems like there's some an attempt at demand destruction, and I don't know, do you see this playing out where... You know, now oil is coming down. Now we see inventories building at retailers. So to some degree, maybe that will be enough at least to get CPI to come down for a while and then gives them some cover to pause or <laughs> where, where do they go from here? Well, I don't, they are going to pause and they are going to do an about face. And when they do that about face, I can't tell you exactly when, um, and yes, oil is coming down. So that makes people feel better at the pump, but the food prices aren't coming down. That's definitely getting worse. We've got massive drought and this is on a global basis. We're not talking about the US or Mexico or Europe. We're talking about, you know, everywhere on a global basis. And particularly, this is, the, this is really the piece, Chris, we're hearing, and I remember when I became a stockbroker in the 80s, all the talk was on globalization and great that would be. And I remember saying to myself, you know, I can see some problems with this. And so we shipped out all of our manufacturing jobs, uh, mostly to China because they pegged their currency directly to ours so that corporations could determine what their profits were going to be. But I think it was what was that, maybe 2013 or 2015? I don't know, I'd have to look on the chart. When um, they depegged from the US. And you know, China's not doing very well. So when you build, when you build what looks like wealth 
on a mountain of unpayable debt, you hit a tipping point, and that's where we are. We've hit that tipping point where more debt is just more debt. It doesn't really help anything. And we actually hit peak debt. I think it was like 97. If you look on the monetary velocity chart at the Fred, you can see that it was like 97 when um, taking on more debt was no longer stimulating. Well, that's fallen off. The velocity has fallen off a cliff. So now it's time to pay the piper. We can't kick this can down the road anymore. We're, we're, at, we're at the end. And I think that's what's really happening in here. Plus, they need to shift us into a new system. So we need to be scared. We need to be really desperate. And they want us to be so scared and desperate that we will accept this next piece of massive garbage, which is a full surveillance economy, down our throats. Because they did such a good job managing this economy. Yeah, they did for some but not for most. So Lynette, would I be safe in assuming that you're not on board with the latest Japanese yen uh, <laughs> management, where it's interesting, last week they had an intervention uh, using dollar assets to prop up the yen. And I saw on Twitter, which led me to pull up the chart here today. I mean, it looks like it's blown back in their face pretty quickly, uh, faster than the ruble got blown back <laughs> in the US face after those sanctions. but. It's like we're seeing more interventions now and finally getting to the point where the market just is blowing it off and not believing it. Voila. That's that confidence piece. But we also have to remember that it was several months ago that global central banks volunteered market confidence in what, what the central bankers say. So part of the danger is that they're now trying to claw back that confidence by at all cost. I mean, they're not paying attention, which I don't know that they ever really pay attention to the impact of their choices. They just keep making the same bad choices over and over. And so I think what we have right now is a reverse currency war. And it's definitely for the US dollar, they're kind of giving the whole world this because obviously a stronger dollar, it makes it a lot harder for corporations to repay their dollar denominated debt when they don't earn dollars. So the, the foreign foreigners that have borrowed dollar denominated debt, they got to pay it back. And the dollar is the strongest level that it's been going back to 2002 peak. And the interesting part about that is it bought it, it peaked in 2002, but then the dollar bottomed and went to all-time lows in 2007. And I remember that so clearly because when I saw it break to all-time lows against the basket of currencies, I remember that weekend I had to go to Vancouver for a family. We were having a little family thing. And I was trying to tell my sisters and brothers that something very nasty was about to happen. And um, that I, when I went back, I was going to recommend to my mom that she sell, you know, off her port, her stock portfolio. And I remember them telling me, oh, 
you know, this economy is the strongest it's ever been. You're just a doom and gloomer. My mom was like, no, I'm okay. Until a few months later. And she said to me, Lynn, there's got to be something wrong. Would you look at my statement? I'm like, you know, the signals don't lie. The formulas don't lie. The patterns don't lie. We can fool ourselves, but the patterns don't lie. And, you know, and, and particularly when you're looking at silver and gold, you know, what are you really looking at? You're looking at the spot market. And those are contracts. And it is so easy to manipulate them. And it is so cheap to create as much silver and gold as you want for like nothing. I mean, it's much cheaper to buy a derivative than it is to actually buy 500 ounces of gold and 5,000 ounces of silver. I mean, eh, why would you want to do that? Then you got to store it, blah, blah, blah. All these, and it doesn't pay interest. Oh my God. So look at how attractive these money markets are. Hey, government bonds. This is a great time to go out and buy those government bonds. But you got to look at the purchasing power, right? You look at Zimbabwe. Look at Venezuela. A trillion times zero is zero. And they know that we're at zero already. And all it's going to take is this little push of the loss of confidence. And I think that could be triggered it could be triggered at any moment, really. Uh, and it'll start in the UK this time, but it'll travel. It'll definitely travel. Yeah. And in terms of uh, not being easy, it's not easy to stack silver like my basement here. You know, you got takes a little effort and muscle power. Although back to what you were saying, I mean, it does make a lot of sense. And I, I think that's one of the things that there was less discussion on earlier this year with the Fed raising interest rates. We were wondering how things were going to go here in the U.S. But really seeing this acceleration, which seems to have picked up in the past week or so. And as you see that dollar index soaring, it's interesting. Dollar index, 81% euro, yen, and pound. So, I mean, we see the... The dollar is soaring against some things that are getting absolutely clobbered right now. Although underneath the dollar, we look at the U.S. bond market, which that's starting to, I mean, I know they like to talk about keeping things steady and orderly. Yeah. We started raising interest rates back here. I guess it took a couple months before the market was ready to decide if they were really serious about going through with that. But these are starting to become some big jumps here. Yeah. So it's not just international, but now putting pressure in the U.S. as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got the 10-year near 4%, which, you know, I mean, and historically, that's not really that high. But when you've had interest rates anchored at zero for more than a decade, and now you're pushing 4%, I mean, what was it even six months ago? A whole lot lower. So, you know, but hey, look, if the housing bubble pops, that's not as inflationary. If more and more people lose their jobs, well, okay, then they won't, we, we can regain that price stability, which if you look at their definition, the central bank definition of price stability is simply that workers don't ask for more money. So they're getting their inflation at 2%. Yeah, they're robbing you of your purchasing power 
and but you're kind of good with it. You're like, well, I'm not, it's, it's happening slow enough. So I'm not going to change what I'm asking for when I go in for a job, but you got a tight job market and you've got raging inflation. Now they don't have price stability anymore. It's not that prices stay stable. It's that you don't ask for more money because God forbid we should get into a wage price spiral. I mean, it's okay if CEOs are earning a thousand times what the average worker is owning, earning, even though back in the 1970s, it was 20 times. Yeah, but that's okay. It's okay for the corporations to be making more money. I mean, if you look at corporate profits, have you looked at that chart? Mm-hmm. Pull that up. That's one of my favorites. It's in the Fred, F-R-E-D, and you pull up the corporate profits. I mean, it's ridiculous how much money these corporations are making, but you know, that certainly has nothing to do with inflation, right? Of course not. Of course not. And of course not. No. Course. And all oh, that has nothing to do with price stability. That's okay. I mean, look at that. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the expansion. In fact, it looks quite a bit like the expansion of the monetary base there. And Gee, doesn't it? Huh. What a coinky dig. And as you can see back here in the Lehman days and then accelerating ever since then and again in uh, the COVID era. So, that, I mean, well, and it, if you even go back because those gray bars indicate official recessions and it really started back in the 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at how, how it jumped in the 2000s. And then we had, of course, the housing bubble. So, you know, the everything bubble is pro- is is popping. But what's most important, obviously, to central banks and governments is that corporations make money. That's clearly what they're saying there. That Well, that's actually what Ben Bernanke said in his 2010 op-ed when he talked about his defense of QE2 to give the, I think he actually said the the feeling or perception of wealth. And of course he didn't mention what happens when you try and undo that policy that turned out not to be very transitory. Although um, you mentioned real estate coming under pressure. Is that, do you think that's what happens though, that enough things just get destroyed that at least it gets the CPI or the PCE deflator back down to a, level they consider that they can at least sell as all right prices aren't going up even if well they're they're staying higher and for a lot of the things we buy and yeah it, it means yeah it's- because inflation is cumulative right i mean the whole system is based upon just constantly growing debt and when you have debt you pay interest on the debt unless of course it's negative interest rate then that Erodes your principle. That that was a big fat test that failed. But I'm very relieved, as I'm sure you are, that the EU is now back to zero. I don't think Japan is at zero yet. Right. Well, it's certainly wild how these things are going. And then in the midst of that, we have gold and silver getting clobbered. We've shocker. <laughs> a lot of demand for physical metal, yet, as uh, I know you're well aware, there's a lot of contract selling from hedge funds on the COMEX. 
obviously you're pretty close to the physical market with what you do over there. I'm curious what you've been seeing. Have you had people who are actually selling their gold and silver um, the physical? No, no. People are not selling into this. If they're smart, they're buying into it. But the premiums are definitely going up. Although Eric knows more about that because I don't really work in that area anymore. But um, the demand is clearly there. But they're trying to discourage you, right? They don't want you to hold physical gold and silver because then you're outside of their ability to control you. The only way they can control you via gold and silver is perception management. Oh, look at this. Gold is down. Silver is down. Ah, why would I want to buy it? Because it's a bigger bargain, right? That's why you want to buy it. Why are the global central banks buying it? And by the way, um, I don't know if you got a chance to see this or not, but the OCC report on derivatives in the uh, FDIC insured banks, and they changed the way they had to uh, account for the gold and the precious metals to the gold and silver contracts. Yeah, Do you think that's true? Yeah. Do, do you think we're really seeing the true picture of, of how they've suppressed the price there? So that is such a stark contrast that, I mean, I don't really know how anybody can look at that and go, oh, yeah, no, I don't want to buy metals. No, huh? they're not being manipulated. And they've admitted it. God knows how many times J.P. Morgan, you know, manipulating the price of gold. And so shocker. Good thing the CFTC couldn't find anything wrong. Yeah, and amazing that you see those <laughs> derivative positions so big, even with J.P. Morgan, who would seem like there's a little bit of a conflict of interest, um, especially given their history in the gold and silver markets, yet it continues on. And I'm curious, what, what do you say to the folks, though, who I'm sure you hear from them, as do I, that, you know, wonder when gold and silver, if, if it's supposed to be an inflation hedge, and I know a lot of people are disappointed because you have the inflation here and it's sold off. Is it just a matter of when, this whole thing runs into further trouble and we see more an acceleration of this chaos. Um, any thoughts on how close we are to that point? Um, yes, I do. I have really strong thoughts on that because what history tells us is when the public loses all confidence and the governments and the central bankers need to regain that confidence that's when they will allow gold and silver, primarily gold, because gold is the primary currency metal, but silver is the secondary currency metal. So they reset the currency that has absolutely no intrinsic value, especially when you're in hyperinflation, and they reset it against gold that's all intrinsic value. And so we will see gold and silver expressed toward their fundamental, their true value, or all the different ways that they're used um, when the public has lost confidence, complete confidence in the governments and the central banks. So how close are we? Well, let's just keep watching and yeah, see we, what happens there. We, we might not be that far off at that point where people are losing confidence. Do you see it being an official government reset or is something we're just perhaps like the bond markets we're seeing where things just start to get out of control? Or do you think that 
this is something where we see the Fed reset the the price again, like they did 70, 80 years ago? Uh, I think that ultimately it will. But first of all, we've got to go into hyperinflation because they have to repay all that debt. And there was an article recently where they actually even admitted that this inflation is really quite good because it enables the government to repay the debt with cheaper dollars, except they never repay the debt. They just keep growing more. Um, so I know I think that they handed over the markets to the traders and particularly on the 10 year treasury back in 2013. And you can see that no longer published a VIX chart uh, on the 10 year treasury. But it was really obvious, it's just so obvious. Um, and I think that they will, so the markets, and then and here's the thing, Chris, absolutely everything has been turned into a financial product, right? Real estate's been turned into a financial product. It's not a house anymore. Let's flip that house. It's a short-term investment. You know, you've got REITs, you've got all of these products that are made from like actual real things, right? Um, so if everything has become a financial product, easy to trade, they actually want to send that, they, they want to step that up by holding all of our wealth, including, you know, a, a, a coffee mug on tokens that can be traded around the world. Now, I hope it never gets to that point. I really do. Uh, because what they're really doing is for those of us that have managed to, to uh, accrue some level of wealth, they want us to voluntarily spend it. So by tokenizing it and then breaking it down into itty bitty pieces and then short-term thinking, oh, I got to have that. I got to have that. I got to have it now. I can't save up for it, you know, and I just got to have it now. Um, yeah, ultimately, that's their goal is to have everything tokenized, can be easily traded around the world, and you volunteer your wealth because those that are naive and don't understand what's going on, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but they probably will just spend their wealth and not even think about it. Oh, I have, you know, $300,000 in equity in the house, and I really like that boat, right? Okay, well, I don't have to take out a loan. I'll just hear my tokens. Okay, I have that boat. It's on my phone. It's easy to access. It's no big deal. But then you end up with a population that's in slavery. You know, whoever has the gold and whoever has the silver, not paper, but real, has the wealth. That's why global central banks, although not the US, not, not Canada, I mean, not Bank of England, but those that are in the know, like, I don't know, China, Russia, India, and Kazakhstan, I mean, a lot of smaller countries, they're accumulating gold like crazy because they know that whoever holds the gold will have the power on the other side of this mess. I feel bad for most people that are not prepared for this. Food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. That's what you need to have a reasonable standard of living. And most people will end up in abject poverty. If not dead, there's going to be a lot of depopulation. I'm sorry. It's just always the way it is. Yeah. And uh, 
I mean, which I think is the hard part digging through this on a day by day. You you see it's parts of it not seemingly headed towards a happy ending. Although one thing in terms of the control you mentioned, and I know you've done a fair amount of research on is the central bank digital currencies. I think people are starting to become more familiar with the concept, but perhaps you could break it down, especially for people who are new to it or don't really get what's going on. What what would you say to folks about those? Well, first of all, they scare the Hades out of me. But, you know, initially the monetary system was labor for labor. That's what physical gold and silver are all about. So you do labor. Uh, it takes energy and labor to pull the gold and silver out of the ground. It was a tool, especially when they took that into certificates, right? So you had silver certificates, gold certificates. You could go into any bank and convert those certificates into the physical metal. And it was a way for the population to control the government. Because if you didn't like what they were doing, you just went in and converted it. And that created restrictions around what the governments could do. Well, they took that away from us and we went to Federal Reserve notes, which are debt instruments that do not pay interest. Um, you, you could not protect your purchasing power because that was by design, that inflation piece in there, but you still had a level of privacy because if you pay for everything with cash or you're holding cash, you know, you're kind of anonymous. Now the evolution is programmable money. And, you know, that's what really scares me because if you listen and you read their documentation, Number one, the government talks about their ability to do lifetime taxes and immediate taxes. They know every single penny that comes in, every single penny that you spend. Uh, and because it's programmable, if they don't like where you're spending it, you simply can't spend it there. Or they can put a date on, you know, this money is only good until this date. So you have to spend it. So for central banks, it does a couple things. Number one, these are their words, not mine. Um, once we're in a digital CBDC, there are no limitations to how low they can push interest rates. So if they want you to spend and you're not spending fast enough, you simply can watch your principal evaporate through negative rates. And what will that inspire you to do? Go out buy anything that you think would hold value better. Uh, so, and additionally, they would, this is what really scares me more than anything that I've talked about right now. Uh, at the moment, if the central bank makes a policy choice, it takes roughly 18 months working through the system to know if they got the results that they were looking for. But with CBDCs, since they're programmable, uh, frankly, if Things don't happen as quickly as they want them. They'll sit there and they'll tinker. I mean, look at what they're doing right now, right? Can you imagine if they actually controlled the money in your wallet, what that would look like? We were a consumer-driven economy. Oh, you're not consuming. Oh, we're going to make you consume. I mean, they will be adjusting and tweaking this and they don't care. Because if you look at what they're saying, we are raising rates, period, end of discussion. It, nothing else matters. We're raising those rates, even though all those countries that have been raising rates like crazy, including Mexico, how many times they've raised rates a whole lot more than they have in the U.S. 
And has that had any impact on inflation? No. So, you know, even though they know that what they're doing isn't working, they are hell bent on doing it anyway. Imagine if they had their finger on your wallet. And you had no options. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, just uh, just thinking they could finally get that 110% tax rate that I think they've always secretly wanted. (laughs) Although, fortunately, Lynette, obviously some things that are not ideal out there. Although, on the positive side, I like, it's been nice learning about you from some of the solutions, getting off grid. And I know you have a new website up called beyondgoldandsilver.com where you share some of what you've learned there. And perhaps you could touch on that a bit and let people know about some of the things that they, that can be done to mitigate against this. Oh my goodness. I mean, there's so many simple things, but what we're trying to do with that website is to build a huge library that can meet people wherever they are. So if you are absolutely hundred percent new to to sustainability, whether it's growing food or energy or any of that, then at whatever level you're at, whether you're new or you're in adv- or you're advanced, we're trying to meet you where you are and build a huge library to help people be as independent and self-sufficient as possible. Uh, I think that's like critically important. My journey started with that in 2008 when I saw that the system died and I said, no, we've got to, you know, this is it. We got to get ready. And I personally was never a gardener. I mean, that was just never my thing. And I can't really say that I'm a gardener now, but I certainly know a whole lot more today than I did back when I started this journey. I bought, bought my first property, the one in Phoenix that you were at in 2010. Um, but it's everything. And and up here in my bug out location, which is completely off grid, um, we're showing you what we're doing as we're developing the whole property too. So there's more than just solar. Not everybody can afford solar. We're going to be putting in some hydroelectric with water. Um, so simple things and Angus, who is up here with me, 24 seven. I mean, he lives on the mountain uh, now and he's a mountain man and, and he's used to doing things on a shoestring. So it's also at whatever monetary level that you can come in at from zero money. How do you do these things to, okay, in an ideal world, I have all the money I need and I can, I can just build the system and everything in between. So we are trying to give everybody the tools that they need to be as self-sufficient and independent as possible. And and you got to get started on it, ASP, ASAP, because I don't, I mean, how much time, who who can say? I mean, I can't say that it's going to be 7.35 tomorrow morning, but quite honestly, the system is fragile and they're making, as always, some extraordinarily bad choices to push us over the edge so that we have a big enough crisis to scare the crap out of people. And I, and I do think 2020 was a big test. How far can we push people? How far can we go? Um, and, you know, and they were taking notes. I, I don't think that was a coincidence. 
Yeah, and uh, certainly I appreciate what you're doing there because as I can testify to firsthand, uh, you were kind enough to invite me to your home last year and you're not just reading this stuff on the web. You've been implementing it and that was without even seeing your off-grid location. So again, people can find out more information at Beyond Gold and Silver from someone who has done quite a bit of this and uh, it's great that you're now sharing that with others so that they can get started. And perhaps before we wrap up, you could also mention your other site, which focuses more on the economics and the gold and silver, just so people can know what you're doing there and uh, how to reach you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because this is really what started the other journey. Like I said, I'm, I'm not really a gardener. That's not really my thing. But through my work with ITM trading, and I've, I've been there since 2002, so I recently uh, celebrated my 20th year there, but I've been in these markets on some level since 1965, 1964. So, you know, it was my work there and I 100% knew that the system died in 2008. And I, and I would go up against anybody with that, with all sorts of data to show you. That's my nickname is Data Gal. And that is really what pushed me on this sustainable journey because I, I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime, but I can't even tell you how grateful I am to the universe or to whoever guided me to understanding, you know, banking. And I was a stockbroker and, you know, and I was in precious metals forever and knowing how they move and knowing how they're manipulated. So this is the start and the foundation really does need to be good money. It really does. Gold and silver, you got to have them. They've got to be physical. They've got to be in your possession. And um, just it's, it's really important because that can at least buy you some things when nothing else can, but it's that availability piece that makes it so important. So, so for me, it's one big hole. It's not this or that it's, it's one big hole. Well, and we also have a YouTube channel. Um, you showed the one and uh, the kind of work that I do is looking at CBDCs and what what the central banks and what's going on in the economy. And I try and translate financial noise into understandable language because they intentionally make it complex. They say, if we make it really complex, then nobody questions us. Isn't that handy? Well, I think you sure have a lot to be proud of because what you've accomplished really is impressive, uh, not just doing the financial, but also sharing some of the other other steps that people can take as well. So we will have beyondgoldandsilver.com and itmtrading.com. Links for that will be in the description field below. And uh, just appreciate you coming on. It's great to catch up with you. It's been too long, but thanks for uh, walking through these things. and least having a smile on our faces as we go through some of the news that perhaps isn't ideal but is what's happening out there and hopefully at least gives people a picture of what's what's developing so that they can be aware and then uh, of course you've also laid out some ways to address that as well so Lynette Zhang thank you as always for joining me and uh, we'll have to look forward to doing this again soon absolutely and when you come to Arizona we'll have to do it again in person
Well, thank you, Lynette. Always great to catch up with you. It has been too long since I've caught up with her on the show. It was quite a pleasure meeting her in person last year and seeing her house and seeing that she's really implementing these things in terms of the prepping aside from even the gold and silver insight. So hopefully you enjoyed that one at home. And also before we wrap up, I'd like to thank BlackRock Silver for bringing us today's show. BlackRock exploring the Tonopah West District that was one of the most historic silver districts back in Nevada before things got shut down when the silver price went into a bear market back during the Great Depression. Yet BlackRock has completed 120,000 meters of drilling, did have a maiden resource earlier this year showing 42 million ounces of silver equivalent. And they've also done further exploration that indicates the potential to expand that resource base. So you can find out more about them at blackrocksilver.com. Appreciate them bringing us today's show. And we'll see you again tomorrow with Rafi's Weekly Silver Report. 